Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Many parenting books offer countless tips for dealing with kids when they misbehave in the eyes of their parents, refusing to go to bed, rejecting the vegetables they've been told to eat, talking back, yelling in a restaurant, badgering their sibling, or resisting doing the tasks it takes to get to school on time. But the way parents cope with these challenging behaviors might be backfiring, even if they work in the short term. My next guest asks many thought-provoking questions in his book, Unconditional Parenting, but two seem to be at the forefront. First, what are your long-term objectives for your children? And second, given those long-term goals, which are likely for your child to be some version of a kind, independent, confident, competent, happy, and fulfilled person, are the ways in which you are parenting lending themselves to creating that type of person in the long run or not? It's time to take a hard look at some of the parenting practices that have become so common that they are accepted as the acceptable norm. Timeouts, positive reinforcement, consequences, withdrawal of attention, punishment, and start taking a hard look at unconditional parenting, a parenting philosophy and practice in which parental love and attention is not in a push-pull relationship with how our children behave. On top of that, unconditional parenting puts to rest the notion that children are trying to make trouble and instead assumes the best of our children and looks at each child as a whole person, not a compilation of good and bad behaviors. Mr. Alfie Cohn is the author of 14 books on education, parenting, and human behavior, including Punished by Rewards, The School Our Children Deserve, Unconditional Parenting, The Homework Myth, and The Myth of the Spoiled Child. He has appeared twice on Oprah, as well as on the Today Show and many other TV and radio programs. His articles include Five Reasons to Stop Saying Good Job, how Not to Teach Values, and Atrocious Advice from Super Nanny. Cohn works with educators and parents across the country and speaks regularly at national conferences. He lives, actually, in the Boston area and virtually at www.alfiecone.org. I'm so excited to have you on the show. So welcome, Mr. Alfie Cohn, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Well, thanks for having me. Well, we're thrilled to have you. I read your book. I was so excited about reading Unconditional Parenting. But before we get into the bulk of the interview, for those who haven't yet gotten their hands on your books, what gets you up in the morning and what inspired you to focus on unconditional parenting rather than on correcting unwanted behaviors as many other parenting books do? Well, your comprehensive summary of the book was... um in part, an answer to that question. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm interested in 
our long-term goals for kids, how we'd like them to turn out, what kind of people we'd like them to be. And I find a remarkable degree of consensus when I've asked many, many audiences, what are you looking for? And they come up with the same kinds of answers. So basically what I do for a living is I say to people, sometimes parents, sometimes teachers, uh, you say you want this, so why are you doing that? <laughs> what gets me up in the morning is, Whenever I find another area where good research and theory point in one direction and what we're actually doing is pointing in another direction. Mm. And if there's evidence to invite people to rethink what they're doing, not because I don't like it or you don't like it, but because it's actually inconsistent with our own um, long term uh, objectives, mm. then that creates a dissonance. Um, a that a, a a discontinuity that will allow people to I hope go apart and say, well, yeah, I want my kids to be caring and compassionate people, and you've just offered me evidence that shows that when I praise them for helping, it makes them more selfish. <laughs> or, you know, I want my kid to be an independent thinker, and yet I now realize that most of what I've been doing has been training my kids to be mindlessly obedient. Something has to give either what I'm doing or what I want. Mm. What a really good way of putting that. It's so concrete. And you do a really good job in your book describing the differences between conditional and unconditional parenting. But the, for those who haven't read the book, if you could give us an example of each sure. one of those things, like let's say a child who maybe won't eat her vegetables at dinner or fights with his parents about getting into the bath or the shower, like what would be the difference between conditional and unconditional parenting in a specific example? Well, uh, let's let's try to aim more broadly to understand the ideas because sure. it might actually distract us or 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 sort of dilute an understanding mm. to try to make everything too concrete and behavioral. Sure. In fact, part of what I'm trying to do in this book is invite people to move beyond behavior mm. to look at kids' needs and values and motives that underlie and inform behavior. Every time you see a book that talks about kids' behavior, you should worry because mm. that's just focusing on the stuff at the surface that you can see and missing the child who engages in the behavior. Anyway, the basic premise here is that uh, kids, and all of us for that matter, don't just need to be loved or even loved a lot. We need, and especially kids need, to be loved for who they are, not for what they do. There should never be strings attached to our care. And it's not whether we think there are strings attached. It's whether our actions come across to kids as if there are. Unfortunately, we need to love kids, in other words, for no damn good reason. Mm -hmm. um, even when they screw up or fall short, they should never feel from anything we've done that our attention, our acknowledgement, our, um, our care for them has been turned off or reduced because we didn't approve of their action. If kids get that message from us that they have to jump through our hoops in order for us to be proud of them and to love them, then they begin to internalize that sense that they are not only loved conditionally, but lovable conditionally. Mm -hmm. um, 
and that puts a burden on them that is very hard to recover from. And there are many adults walking around who think of themselves as good people only if they're smart or make a lot of money or are thin or pretty or funny or anything. Mm. And what matters more than, as, as with love, it's not just a matter of how much, but what kind. It's also true for um, self-esteem. It's not just high self-esteem, thinking well of ourselves that predicts the mental health. It's having a core of faith in ourselves that even when we do bad things, we are still at bottom good people. And the way you help kids to grow up that way is to do the exactly the opposite of what most traditional parenting resources are urging us to do with time out which is forcible isolation from the people who love them when they need us most, or praise, which is a verbal doggy biscuit that tells them, you've done this, and so I'll give you a patronizing pat on the head for living up to my experience, mm -hmm. my expectations. Mm -hmm. So this doesn't mean that we don't engage with kids when something goes wrong, when they act in troubling ways. It's we must, but we have to do so in a way that I call a working with approach rather than a doing to approach. Mm. And all punishments, even if we call them consequences to make ourselves feel better, and all rewards, even if we call them positive reinforcement, are ways of doing things to kids to get them to comply with us and these are both ways of offering conditional affection. Mm. And so what we have to do is not just tweak it a little bit, not just do a different kind of reward or punishment or put a different kind of string attached to our affection, but rethink those whole ideas. Mm. I really, what you're saying really resonates with me. And, and you do speak a lot about this in your book. Um, in particular, you know, when a child is doing a behavior like they slam the door uh, and you don't like that in your house or call your uh, other child a name or push somebody or hit somebody that, you know, we have been trained in so many ways do certain things to give timeouts to um, you know to to ignore the child and not you know when they're doing something that we don't want to ignore them we've overused good job which I know you can't stand and neither can I but what would you want to see a parent to do instead what is the flip side of these types of, of uh, parenting techniques in a situation when a child may do something that they don't like? Well, I, I go to, to lengths in my book to give a broad sense with practical strategies, but to avoid the kind of, when my kid does this, I stand here and I say the following <laughs> in this tone of voice. Right. I get emails almost every day from parents saying, my child is biting, my child won't clean up his room, my child X, what do I do? And I respond to each of those, I hope politely, but by saying, I'm, I've never met you or your child. Mm -hmm. uh, it, would be, it would be presumptuous of me to offer a specific response to a specific situation for people I don't know. Mm -hmm. All I can do is offer broad guidelines yes. 
that can be adapted. So one broad guideline, for example, is, um, um, is to stop looking for a different thing to say when my kid does X and instead take a step back to ask the bigger question, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Why, why might my kid be doing this? And how can I engage with, with him or her? Um, possibly by stop over controlling. Mm. I mean, I can show you what conditional parenting looks like. Sure. It includes stuff like praise and timeout and so on or ignoring. But I can't give you a concrete example of unconditional love. Mm-hmm. You see, because that's not something you can, you can take a picture of. Mm-hmm. There has to be a sense in which what we say, how we say it, our tone of voice, our body language, all communicates to kids that, you know, even, even when something goes wrong, they know my mom or dad never stopped loving me. Mm. So the challenge for us is to figure out how to put that into practice. One thing that makes more sense than looking for a different sentence to say when the kid does X is to ask, why am I doing so much over-regulating of my child? Mm. Kids learn to make good decisions by making decisions, not by following directions. Mm. And so one avenue to look through, to, uh, to look at, to try to figure out what unconditional parenting looks like is not a particular script we would follow, but a, a, a question we may not even have seen as related, which is, am I doing too much telling and not enough asking? Oh. Right. And so that, I mean, that's a whole chapter in the book is just how do we give kids more say about their lives in a way that's more developmentally appropriate? Kids do not feel valued by us and important because we say, good job. I really like the way you, you know, this again is just, this is manipulation. Mm -hmm. This is as controlling as punishment is. It's just you know, control through seduction, as one researcher put it. Mm. What leads kids to feel valued and important and to feel a sense of autonomy and competence is not our approval for meeting our standards. It's the opportunity for them to actually make choices and have some sense of control over the thing that happens to them. Mm. So that's one direction to move in. And of course, there's there's, there's much more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. One of the things that you talk about in your book are natural consequences. And that's like an area where a lot of people would think, well, that's a healthy thing to do for children. They forgot their homework on the counter and they get a zero and that may make them, you know, remember their homework or they leave their bike outside in the rain, it rusts or gets stolen. But you have a very different opinion about this idea of natural consequences. So what, what do you feel about natural consequences and what kind of message do you want to send to parents instead? Yeah, I also have a different opinion about homework, which I never use as an example of something that ought to be done. Mm, In fact, I wrote a whole book on this called The Homework (laughs) Myth, you know, which, which demonstrates that making kids work a second shift of academics when they get home from a full day in school is problematic and research finds no benefit to it. Exactly. So, So beyond the question of you know, whether natural consequences make sense. Parents ought not to be pushing kids to do something that's going to kill their interest in learning, but actually becoming organized to challenge that practice in schools. But anyway, that wasn't your question. Um, Consequences in general tends to be just a euphemism 
for punishment, which is where we deliberately make kids unhappy in the hope that that will change them for the better in the future. We use these euphemisms like time out or consequences because on some level we know that doesn't make sense and it's unpleasant and it's going to strain our relationship with them. So they come to see us as just um, an enforcer of consequences, um, something somebody who's going to make them unhappy rather than someone they can trust um, to come to when something's going wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, natural consequences is often used, as with the examples you gave, to try to suggest that there's something uh, inevitable about what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, that I mean, a true natural consequence is if I stay up late, I'm going to be tired in the morning when I wake up. Mm-hmm. If I push this this paper clip to the edge of my desk, at some point it's going to fall off. Mm-hmm. That's a natural consequence. Um, not telling a kid, not reminding a kid to bring a raincoat um, so they'll learn from getting wet to remember it next time that's just cruel, you know, um, if, or, or, or saying to a, an older kid, you didn't get home when you should have. So you're going to go without dinner tonight. I mean, that's a punishment. Mm-hmm. There's nothing natural about it. What kids learn from what we call nat- smugly natural consequences is the following mom or dad could have helped me out here, but didn't. Mm-hmm. The primary effect of so-called natural consequences is not to teach the lesson we were hoping that we would teach to make them, you know, remember stuff or, you know, do what they promised to do or whatever. The main message they get is there's something about my parent I can't trust Mm. or they don't love me enough to help me with this. Mm -hmm. Again, what we intended as with most punishments and rewards, is not what predicts the long-term outcome. It's how the child infers what the child takes away from this experience, Mm -hmm. what he or she experiences it. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to move beyond that whole notion of doing to, of which natural consequences is just another example, rather than trying to tweak the implementation Mm-hmm. And when you're tweaking the implementation and doing it with a child, um, that might mean uh, trying to figure out how how your child might be able to remember something that you know is important to them. Like they they know they need to bring their mitt to practice. You know the mitt is on the counter. You know they're about to walk out without it, and perhaps that's the time when you're either going to remind them or if they don't like nagging, you know, are you reminding them, is there something that you can do to help them to remember on their own? Is that right? right? For parents to say, how can I help? (laughs) That's a, that's a great phrase. How can I help? Um, So the kid is making the decision about whether you need to help and whether you can. And if so, let's brainstorm this together. Um, But not to feel that all, you know, we're being helicopter parents, right. we're, we're overdoing it, my kid's never going to be independent, mm-hmm. you know, unless I force them to suffer because the kid mm-hmm. 
didn't remember to do X. Mm-hmm. So if it keeps, you know, I would remind them. And then if it keeps happening, say, you know, let's talk about what, what, what would be a good way so that you don't forget even when I'm not around. Right. And then if a kid comes up with something silly, you know, think, well, let's try it. And then mm-hmm. check in a few days from now, see how it went, or maybe we need to revisit that. Yes. But also we have to keep the kid's age in mind here. Mm-hmm. It is developmentally appropriate for very young kids not to remember stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you hear parents all the time saying things like, you just tracked mud all over the floor again. I, I just told you about this yesterday. You need to take off your boots when you come in. Are you deaf? Mm-hmm. And the kid thinks, no, I'm three. <laughs> oh. oh, sweet. And the same goes for many other things. Um, this is part of what comprises what I call a working with approach, keeping, keeping the kid's limits in mind. Mm-hmm. Well, if I can't use punishments and rewards, how am I supposed to make the kid sit through a, a, you know, a long family dinner mm-hmm. without squirming? Mm-hmm. You're not. They're not. It's yes. the, pro- the problem is with your expectation, not with the kid. Mm-hmm. And almost all parenting books begin with the premise that whatever the parent wants the kid to do, that's legitimate. So here are some tricks and techniques for making the kid do it. Mm-hmm. When a courageous parent begins by saying, if my child is not doing what I'm asking, maybe the problem is with what I'm asking. Mm-hmm. And that takes more courage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I I agree with that. And I've, you know, just the other day, my daughter, um, you know, when she comes in from school, there's a lot that's often going on. And um, I I asked her if she had something specific to do for uh, uh, something she was doing. And she, and she said, Oh, yeah, I do. I do. I have to go do that now. And I said to her, Do you want me to ask you that kind of thing when, you know, after you have your snack or would you prefer right. that I don't do that, you know, cause I don't want to be seen as, as nagging you. Um, and she said, no, actually, I really appreciate it that you asked me that. So it felt good to have that give and take because then there's an agreement. And then I feel like it moves to more like a, you know, a, a, a system that she's part of rather than something that I'm doing to her. She's Yeah, yeah. So by checking in with her, is this helpful to you? That's just a sign of respect, you know, mm-hmm. um, rather than assuming I'm going to do it whether you want to or not or assuming it's, it is helpful. Right. So, yeah, multiply okay. that by a thousand, checking in with kids. Yes, you know, that's and, a good one. Yeah. Okay. I know you talk a lot about success and failure. Um, you know, you talk about, you recognize that one of the bigger problems parents seem to be getting into is this idea that when their children succeed, that they, the parent then feels successful. How to the parent can parent can feel conditional in that way? Because then they wind up like expressing joy and happiness and, and, and approval when the child is succeeding on the sports field or in school or socially or otherwise. But you say, of course, this is detrimental. So what do you want to see instead of that? What is the detriment? Well, you began by asking about a possible motive for a practice that is, I believe, counterproductive, irrespective of its motive. Mm. So let's start with the second. The practice is conditional affection and excitement and approval, not based on kids being well-behaved or Mm -hmm. compliant, but being impressive. Mm -hmm. And that's just as bad. Mm 
Mm. The, the, the problems I w- was ticking off before about conditional love and approval, those are, those are problems regardless of what conditions the kids has to, has to fulfill. Um, if, if kids doing well in school occasions our praise or even worse, tangible rewards, let's take you out for a special dinner because you get a good report card, that's an excellent way to destroy children's interest mm. in learning in its mm. own sake. Grades are bad enough, which is why the best schools don't give them. Mm. Giving approval or rewards for a good grade, that's a reward for a reward. Mm. You can almost watch kids' curiosity evaporating before your eyes when you do that, even if you did it for the best with the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. Because the more you reward kids for doing something, the more they tend to lose interest in whatever they had to do to get the reward. Mm. If you want to destroy a child's interest in reading for life, give them a prize for reading a book. Because the kid figures, wow, if they have to bribe me to do this, it must be something I wouldn't want to do. Mm. Plus, it's so damn manipulative that they don't like being controlled in that way, and they tend to lose interest in whatever was involved there. So that I wrote a whole, another whole book about how rewards undermine interest, mm-hmm. adults and children, work, family, and, and, uh, and school. Mm-hmm. But rewards for doing well don't just have a negative effect on excitement and ultimately excellence at whatever they were rewarded for doing, they are also an example of conditional affection that has all those detrimental effects. Now, you began the question by by talking about one possible reason that some parents do that. And that reason is worth looking into, though possibly not now, but um, and that has to do with the extent to which many parents' sense of self-esteem and well-being, um, their sense of themselves is based on the vicarious pleasure of their children's success. Mm-hmm. Um, social psychologists have a term, uh, BIRG, B-I-R-G, which stands for basking in reflected glory. Oh. And that is a that is a true worrisome sign. Of course, we love our children and we're proud of them. But the kind of parent who, who rushes to boast about his or her kid, um, you know, my kid was reading at age four. My kid got into Stanford early acceptance. My kid's on the all-state tennis team. My kid's in the gifted program. You begin to sense that... Um, there's something aggressive about this where the parent is involved a little too much in this and that probably the child feels constrained or even suffocated by the parent's expectations. The question is not a matter of over-parenting. It's a matter of the extent to which the parent is so invested in the child's success that the child uh, knows that it would be calamitous to fail mm. because because the parent needs to do this. When you need the kid to need you, that's when it becomes problematic. Mm. And so whatever the reason for it is, though, sometimes it may just be force of habit or the fact that no one ever before invited you to think that when you 
praise kids for doing well, you might actually be A, undermining their desire to do well in its own right, and B, coming to think of themselves as good people only with strings attached so that if someday they don't do well, they're in real trouble psychologically. Mm -hmm. And so if you've been doing it just by force of habit or because you didn't realize that it was problematic, then good. (laughs) Time to let go of that. Yeah, it should be easier because you don't have so much psychologically invested where you feel crappy about yourself if your kid isn't brag worthy, you know? Oh, wow. Well, thank you for that. I feel like I could talk to you all day about all of this, but I know we are coming up to the end and I'd love to just get your top tip. What do you want people to come away with after hearing this podcast and reading your book? Well, I... I I would rather that people decide individually. They've heard me answer your questions for Mm -hmm. half an hour Mm -hmm. rather than telling them, here's what I want you to take away. It seems more respectful and a way of modeling what I hope we do with our kids to say, why don't you decide Mm -hmm. what, if anything, struck a chord for you? Mm -hmm. I I would hope that it's uh, that they're involved in that would be a willingness to 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 sort of take a step back. Mm -hmm. And instead of asking the question, how how do I get my kid to do X or stop doing Y? That the broader questions here are, have to do with our long-term goals. Mm-hmm. And we don't just ask about, you know, how we love, how much we love our kids, but are we loving them in a way that's actually counterproductive? And beyond that, 10 different listeners of this podcast will come away with 10 different things that are most meaningful to them. Mm-hmm. Good. You pick and then work from there. Mm, Good point. What's your resource of the week? Where can we go to get more information about you and all of your great books that you've written? Oh, well, it's not just of the week, but thank you for asking. Um, (laughs) uh, My name is spelled A-L-F-I-E, and my last name is K-O-H-N. And alfiecone.org is my website, which has hundreds of articles that are all there for free on education as well as parenting. And also information about my, about not only unconditional parenting, but also other books I've written, and um, and a couple, and also a, a, a DVD for anybody who still owns a DVD player, of um, of a lecture I gave on this, and many other resources as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you so very much. I really enjoyed talking to you today and understanding more about unconditional parenting. And as we were doing our email exchange and I by mistake wrote unconventional parenting and you said, well, actually it may, may seem like that to most, um, that it's, it's such an important thing to be able to step back and ask ourselves, is what we're doing helping our child in the way that we would hope it would be helping our child or actually detrimental to our children? children um, in the long run? It's such an important question, and I hope everybody will take that in. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Sure. Thanks again for your interest in having me. Well, I've got my takeaways, and sweet friends, I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook, go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page, or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so others will learn more about these outstanding solutions and all about Alfie Cohn and what he's been providing through his books and his lectures. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you 
so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts and so many great show notes to this podcast and to others are up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here and you're getting the information you need. Perhaps you heard something today, and I hope you did, that says, ah, I need to do that differently, or I'm going to do that differently. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you, and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information,